Tired of asking why? Welcome to the Unresolved Life Podcast, where we are answering life's most difficult questions. Now, here's your host, Teresa Blaze. Welcome to the Unresolved Life Podcast. I'm Teresa Blaze. And today, I've got someone who is just really cool. She's totally uh, got the goods and is and we're just going to have a conversation around a few topics that I think some of you might be able to relate to. But before we jump into that, I want to touch on today's sponsor. And that sponsor is freedommugs.store. Look, everybody loves a cup of coffee, a cup of tea, you know, for you tea drinkers out there. Well, you can't have that without having a decent coffee mug now, can you? And the best place to get a good coffee mug is freedommugs.store. Uh, we've got mugs for the holiday season. We've got mugs to celebrate uh, the, uh, your patriotic bins. We've got we've got mugs for a lot of different things. So just go get, take a look at it. I think you'll enjoy it. Freedommugs.store. Next. I have opened up a text messaging community specifically for Unresolved Life listeners. Text Unresolved to 575-223-1596. Just say hello. You're going to receive a prompt. Just do what that prompt tells you, and you'll be added to the community. I would absolutely love for you to text me and let me know what topics I should be covering. What, what, What would you guys like to talk about? I'd love to know. 575-223-1596. Now, on to the content, shall we? I've got Miss Sharon Smaga of Pop Coach Life. Sharon is a uh, licensed family therapist, and she's also a life coach. Uh, She's also become a very good friend. Sharon, welcome to the podcast. Oh my gosh, thank you so much, Teresa. I am really excited to be doing this with you. Well. I'll tell you, I'm, we've been working on this pre- uh, interview for quite a while, and I'm really happy to have you on board. So what is something that I should have mentioned that I forgot to mention about you? I guess some things that might be helpful is uh, for your listeners to know is I'm not coming at this, you know, fresh out of school or because I read a good book somewhere. I've got going on 23 years experience in the field of marriage and family therapy and just have walked with so many people through so many difficult things. And that is sort of what has spawned, if you will, my heart for Pop Coach Life, because I'm also realizing in this day and time, it's a lot more about how to connect with people outside a therapy room or across a state line where they have more direct access. And so there's a similar skill set to help people Uh, grow and improve their life. My passion beginning to end from day one um, is just helping people achieve, grow, get excited about their life. And I've learned that as long as I am doing that in some venue, um, I'm, I'm excited about getting up and if you will, going to work every day. And so this seems like kind of the next natural step in my evolution and where I want to go with things and be able to be more mobile and reach more people. So I'm really excited about um, starting to walk down this road. And I think some of it's coming out of, um, and this might be something we talk a little bit about today. I don't know, uh, because you and I didn't pre-rehearse this. We decided to let God just step into this and take it where it needs to go. But I'm also widowed. Um, I've got one 
uh, son still at home with me. I'm about to turn 53. So I'm an almost 53-year-old mama with a senior in high school still at home, widowed about six years. And a lot of, I think, what I am bringing to this uh, is impacted by losing my husband. Um, Was very much in love with him. It was not expected. It just kind of blew up our life one night. And there's a lot that I've learned through that as God has carried me through it that I am very excited about and excited to share. I have just learned so much through widowhood and, and as a result of being widowed. Let's talk about, uh, you know, for those that might want to know what happened uh, that night, how did you actually lose your husband? And I love that you asked me that actually, because um, there was a time where I couldn't talk about that. It was just too private and too much. And the fact that I can even talk to you about this is I, I want people to know that's evidence of God's healing. And that's really important to me because I think as believers, we walk through this um, living as if we have to suffer through our time here until we get home and get to heaven. And we don't. He promises healing in the here and now. And so part of that story, not all of it, but a large part of my recent growth and my that has made my relationship with God so, so intimate in a very different way is about six years ago, um, my husband was having health problems, but what we didn't anticipate or understand was that he was also having heart issues. And uh, we went to bed one night. He had been on some medication for another medical issue. And we kind of thought, well, you know, we're tackling that and maybe it's going to be okay. And we didn't sit around talking about, hey, do you think you're going to, you know, make it this time, honey? Or do you think you're going home? It was just more, we understood whatever time we had was precious and we were trusting God for whatever was going to come. What nobody anticipated was that night we went to bed and a noise woke me up. And I remember just jumping up and flipping over and turning on a light. And he had already had a massive heart attack and was gone. Uh, I did CPR on him for about 20 minutes waiting on somebody to come. There was so much protection that night. It's, it's really an incredible story. And I know this isn't what today is all about, but maybe you and I can talk about that sometime uh, on another interview. But He kept my son asleep through all of that, the one that's still living at home with me. He was very young still. I was doing CPR, and I think it's just instinct to save and preserve. They came and took over CPR, um, and and I think we went almost 40 minutes with nothing. And they came out to tell me, what do you, you know, to ask me, what do you want to do? We think we need to pronounce. And at that exact moment, um, another technician got a heartbeat, so they took him to the hospital. Anyway, we found I found out later he coded again in the ho- ambulance on the way to the hospital, and essentially ninety percent of his heart was gone. I don't remember the exact on his brain, but there was I, I want to say eighty percent or more brain function was gone. So it was just kind of a mess, and we realized, you know. He was gone before I turned on the light, before I started CPR, before anybody else came and helped. And it was just very clear when they couldn't even keep his body from going into seizures on the life support, 
even with four anti-seizure medications in them, it was just a mess. And it was very clear. Um, there was a moment where I remember God showing me, he's home, I'm taking him home. And I met up with my sister-in-law later that day and said, this happened to me and I don't know who else I can tell. So I need to tell you this. And she started crying and said, I really had God, I feel like God gave me that same kind of understanding and feeling. So we made a really difficult decision, <clears throat> turned off life support, and he officially uh, passed, you know, three days later within probably five minutes, um, which were his wishes anyway. He never wanted life support or resuscitation. But again, when you love someone and you're scared, you just, you don't think about it. You're just doing everything you can to make sure to try to make them okay, right? And so that's where kind of part of this journey really started because it was such a dark, profound, and I'm going to tear up a little, but I'm okay. But it was such a dark, profound valley to walk through. And it felt like in a single moment, everything about my life had been blown up and was raining down on me like just millions of pieces of confetti and I didn't even have the energy to crawl across the floor to pick up those pieces of my life or what I thought my life was. But now, in a moment, it everything about my life changed. Um, if you're listening and you've been through the loss of a spouse, you know that it's a very different kind of loss in that it affects every single crack and crevice of your life. And nothing looks the same again. And you just have to get up the next day and begin to deal with that. You know, the, the question that comes to mind uh, as I hear you talk, I mean, I, I see God's hand in, 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 in your story, but I also wonder what was like, you said that, that God kept your son asleep. I mean, how do you have that kind of a conversation, uh, you know, with your son explaining to them that while you were asleep, their dad passed away. That had to be a hard conversation. It went a little differently than that, only because he did go to the hospital and was on life support. So it was, you know, I called my oldest son. He and his wife came immediately, um, met me at the ER, and we talked about what was happening. And I, there's just so many blessings in it was everybody involved, but my oldest son and his wife would stay with Caleb at home all day. And I would be at the hospital and I would come home at night. And even with, you know, I'm trying to imagine even for my oldest son, you're sitting with this, you don't really know what's happening, but here you are because there's 12 years difference between the brothers taking care of your little brother. How old was Caleb at this time? Oh, he was 11 you know, all this is going on. And then within three days, this happens. We have to deal with it. The absolute worst moment of my life, uh, believe this or not, was not the moment I lost my husband, although it's right up there. The, the only moment I can tell you that was worse than that for me was coming home from the hospital that day and having to tell my sons that he was no longer with us, that he was gone. And there is nothing worse, in my opinion, because I, I can understand when life hurts me and I know my resources, I know my relationship with God, but to have to walk through a door and to tell your children, your father is gone 
your dad is gone is the worst thing I've ever experienced in my life. I would live through the moment of losing my husband five times over to avoid that one. That's how profoundly difficult that is. There's no words. There's no right way to do it. There's no good way to do it. It just is. I, you know, I, I sit here and I think about, I mean, like, thank, you know, thank God I haven't lost a spouse and I can't imagine uh, walking into that. Um, I, you know, I, 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 that's just not something I can, you know, get my mind around, but, you know, I totally get the idea of like, okay, you just lost someone exceptionally significant to you. And now you have to tell your, 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 your kid that, uh, that's not coming home. I mean, that's just. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. That just, that to me. Yeah. (laughs) It is even having had to do it. It still feels very surreal as you feel that weight of, um, I think about law enforcement and some other folks that have to do this as part of their regular job, you know, or military. And you realize it's just so I've, I've had to do what I've done it, but it's so surreal and it's not something that ever goes away. It's, I don't know if it's a wound that ever completely closes because in that moment, you know, no matter how you do it, no matter how you say it, it's horrible. No good result in that moment. And you are the person tasked with delivering this, this painful, horrible news to, to people that you love. And death itself is such a robber. I mean, it really is. You know, de- death is one of those things that like we try and keep at, uh, at, at bay. You know, like sometimes you, re- you hear something, you see something. Okay, so-and-so died. That sucks, you know. But you try and keep it at bay uh, until it gets a little too close to home. Yeah, we're we're perpetually surprised by death. Which intellectually, I can kind of go, well, that's probably not that realistic, you know. <laughs> um, but the reality is, I don't know that we're trying to deny the loss of life because, especially for us as believers, there is hope even in that. But I think it's the denial of pain. Right. It's, I'm not grieving that he's home and well with the father and whole for the first time in his life physically. I grieve for me. I grieve for my children. I hold that pain. Let me, let me ask, let me ask this question. What were some of the biggest, I mean, after, you know, the initial hit of, well, now he's gone, uh, what were some of the biggest aftermath effects for you and your kids? kind of walking through that? Oh, well, some of those really aren't mine to share. Uh, I certainly, while I feel deep pain for my children, I cannot, I know my experience as a widow, I don't intimately know their internal experience as his son's. But the aftershocks is what I call them are tremendous. And I think we think of grief as this one event in time. And the truth is, at least in my experience, there's it's all the aftershocks. There's loss that comes on top of the initial loss because it's such a deep pain that it exposes the fissures in your relationships. And so where things are already fragile, 
it's almost like an earthquake where a crack becomes a cavern, you know, in the ground and you can't bridge it and you don't know how to get across it. And you feel that loss too in some of your relationships. That question in and of itself could be a whole interview or more because there's so there's nothing it doesn't impact. It impacts things you wouldn't think about, like who's going to make the coffee in the morning to who's going to provide for the family, then sitting there and going, oh, me by myself. Because at that moment, you're not thinking about God's provision. You're thinking about what's happening and what do I have to do? There's just so much to it and so many layers to it. It's, it's, I wouldn't say it's indescribable. It's just a lot to cover. How did uh, your, I mean, this change in circumstance, your, your becoming a widow, uh, how did this impact your relationship with God or did it? Oh my gosh. And this is so exciting for me. Um, it deepened it. It's become more intimate. It is, I, at one, I initially at one point was suicidal. We don't like to talk about that in our culture. We kind of freak out and want to put people in ambulances and hospitals and on medication. Uh, so, but I was um, suicidal. And I remember at one point saying, well, Lord, I mean, I could just come home too. And kind of asking for his permission almost and him and knowing he wouldn't give it and him just saying no. And I know this hurts. I know you cannot conceive of a life without him or after this, but I am here. And a later conversation, you know, with why can't I just come home? And it, and, and it was kind of profound. He just sat with me in that and comforted me, but also said, you know, he's home with me. He's well, he's whole. He did what I had for him to do there. And I'm taking care of him. And I'm going to take care of you and your boys and all of your needs here. And what I need for you to do for the kingdom, I'm not done with you down here. You just can't come home yet. I mean, I've got chills right now just talking about it. But I learned, I've learned so much about God. And again, can't cover it all in one intro interview. But I learned in a very visceral way. I, we do a lot of what I call in the church, we do a lot of what I would call intellectual ascent. But you know, even the demons give that. Even Satan gives that. Satan's first uh, interaction with Christ was to tempt him by use, quoting scripture at him. So... There's a lot of things we get stuck in this intellectual ascent as believers and sort of wind up living in practical humanism. Whole nother topic. Um, but <laughs> why do I have a feeling you're going to be back for future episodes? Just saying. <laughs> I hope so. I would love to. But I just, I have so much to say, which is probably why I'm doing this new project. But I learned <laughs> very profound, visceral, absolutely confident way on the floor crying out. And sometimes all I could cry out and pray was, save me, save me. Most of what I prayed that first two years was, I trust you, Jesus. I trust you, Jesus. And I learned that in a very real way, he was in my life yesterday. He's, he was with me in the today. And before any of this circumstance happened, he was way out ahead, making a way and preparing a way. Everything about 
my journey as a widow comes back to how God prepared and made a way. And he doesn't lift the circumstances from us, but he never, ever, ever leaves us while we are moving through them. And so in a way, it's very different. He just met me there, met me there, met me there. And instead of demanding life go a certain way or thinking if I can just do this or meet this goal in my life or achieve that, I will be happy. I realized it is not about God lifting circumstances from me. It's about me learning to completely depend on Him in whatever circumstance I'm in. You know, it it, it reminds me, um, and my audience has heard this story before, but I'll share it here because I think it's kind of relevant and we're talking about the same thing. But in different arenas, um, you know, when when I when I came back to him, you know, it was a there was a night and it was very not, you know, I think about it now and it was very surreal. But God did not come after me over some of the addictions that I had at the time. He did not chastise me. He just allowed me to share some of the issues that I was dealing with at the time. And, it, and, and, and I think you're saying some of the same things when you're dealing with that kind of pain, whatever that pain is for you, it was the loss of your husband. For me, it was uh, a bunch of other things. But when you're dealing with that kind of pain, it seems to me God is like, all right, I'm going to meet you there and I'm not going to beat you up. We'll deal with the subsequent issues later. Yes, 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 yes. And it's so profound because God is bigger than the circumstance. So he doesn't need to fix everything about a circumstance to be God and to be in relationship with us. That's a thing we do where we keep trying to clean up our act to be worthy of him versus realizing he's saying, no, 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 no. Just let me into your mess. I'm okay with it. I already know it. I want to be in it with you because he's not in the business of conformity. He's in the business of transformation that's inside out. And by definition, that work cannot begin or truly happen if I'm not. So this idea of inviting him into our hearts, it has to start there because if I don't invite him in, he can't be in the transformation business with me. I'm still trying to measure up or trying to be good enough or religious enough or follow the rules enough or impress other people enough. So whatever the mess is, and if, if, and if people listen to this and hear nothing else, whatever your mess is, just invite him in. He loves me. He already made, he wants your mess. He wants your heart and he will show you and love you and comfort you and grow you and transform your heart and renew your mind. Don't push God away because you're ashamed of your mess. He loves you and he wants to be in the middle of your mess. You know, that was one of the more profound moments. And I I think a lot of people, they kind of go, yeah, but I've really, really screwed things up. And I, and I know, yeah. And you sure will again. <laughs> Yeah, that's true. <laughs> that's very much like true. Start every small group, I was joking with somebody about this with, um, you know, how AA, AA does, you go to a meeting and it's like, hi, I'm so-and-so, I'm an alcoholic. I feel like in small groups and Sunday schools and we get together, we should just have to say, hi, I'm Sharon and I'm a sinner. Because I think we forget that. You know, I think you're right. It's almost like when we walk into some places, like especially 
you know, especially in, in the church, and I'm going to say this at large, uh, because it's not necessarily true of all churches, but I would say I've run across my fair share, and I know you have, where you walk in, but you and you've got to put on this like, hey, I've got everything, I've got everything put together. I call it the Sunday cloak. It's the cloak that I wear to church. And I don't have to put it on. I don't think that, you know, nobody, I've never walked in a building of worship where, you know, to meet with a body of part of the body of believers and had somebody say, now, Sharon, make sure you're pretty enough and say things. And I do think we feel some of that pressure, but I think a lot of that is our shame that we carry and we carry it through those doors with us. And we don't realize, you know, Christ died to free us from guilt and shame. And that gives us, that truth gives us the freedom, you know, if you will, to be set free. It gives us the freedom to be vulnerable, um, to expose ourselves and not fear the opinions of other people and to not be afraid um, to share it with God. Confession is not for God's benefit. He already knows all your stank. He knows what you're doing. He knows what you're thinking. He's seen you naked in the shower. You know what I mean? I think that's something that's that shame we carry and it's very insidious versus saying, I can say it to you, Lord, so that you can step into it with me and help me come to more healthy thoughts and conclusions and beliefs and therefore good and more good and right choices and desires, right? So the world is perverting all that. So unless we bring God in again, bring him into the mess, bring him into your mess, and he's not going to judge you and shame you. He wants you free from that. And we confuse, I think, conviction with condemnation. That's huge. That's huge right there. Yes. He wants to convict us, not judge us, condemn us. We're fighting. We, we already, he already won. We're fighting from the winning ground. And so it's more about having that person you can just be that honest with and he's going to love you and he's going to speak truth into it in a way I've never had. God speaks to me very directly about things and I never feel judged. I feel freed. I go, Oh my gosh, Lord, you're right. I am doing that. Holy cow. You know, it's that awareness and that allows me to grow. But if we are constantly um, piling up the shame inside, then we turn around and put that on each other we walk into places of worship. We, um, it becomes the glasses that we see everything through. And then we, we risk living in a world where we're chronically offended instead of, yeah. Yeah. Instead of being able to know, discern what is, what is the voice of God and what is just simply, maybe it is feedback that was negative and maybe we needed to hear it from another person. And maybe they were out of line, but we don't have to run around offended because we remember, remember the whole circling back to, hi, I'm Sharon and I'm a sinner. And so is Teresa. And so is everybody else I'm worshiping with. And, and we are going to wound and hurt, but it's redeemable. You know, and, and this kind of brings up a, a, um, a question that just came to mind because, and I know that this one might step on some toes, but I think it's, it's, it's one of those ones where you go, huh? Do you think that shame is at the root of cancel culture because they constantly take offense and uh, that would, I think we'd have to have a whole nother discussion that if you're at Ford, I certainly am. So I'll ask about that today is this yes and no, it's a driver. I think we have to recognize though evil is at play in the world. 
And we are often largely in denial about what evil looks like and what it is and isn't. And learning that doesn't mean we're judging other people. The pushback from cancel culture is if you have discernment, you're being judgmental of me. So I think there's a lot of things that come with cancel culture, um, but I don't think we can put it all in shame per se, because there are people that just don't want anything to do with God or what. And I think we've got to recognize that. It, it that question when as you were talking that question because cancel culture is mainly built on if I don't like what you're saying you're being offensive you're being this that and the other and you need to be silenced, which is interesting because we do that to one another in the church. We we talk about this outside cancel culture and it's a thing and it's real and it's a problem. But again, we choose to run around in the body chronically offended by one another and. It's the same mentality playing out in a different way. So I think we need to be really careful with that. I think you're right. And I mean, it's 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 kind of one of those things that, um, you know, you know, on this show, uh, I, I, I personally strive to tackle the stuff that makes the church uncomfortable because it's like if we don't, we can't heal. I think I think you're 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 addressing something by that, you know. I'm so and so, and I'm a sinner. I think you're addressing an issue that we don't hear talked about, whether it be in the body or even from the pulpit. We just do not hear uh, the subject of sin and uh, redemption and the fact that we kind of need redemption. Uh, it seems to me that it's all been couched in this like positive thinking mantra. You know, I don't know. It's not certainly not where I worship what the message is. So that's all I can speak to. Um, But I will say this. I think you and I have shared before. And again, I feel like after chatting today, we could do like, you know, at least 10 follow-up interviews. But I'm fairly um, certain. Yeah. You know, my heart is for this. And this is really, um, and I know you and I probably could go down so many rabbit holes with stuff because we're like-minded in so many ways and fascinated by these discussions and want to have them even when we disagree. I love that. To circle back to, you know, um, pop coach life, pop pop stands for purpose over perfection. And so all of this strikes at the heart of my passion, which is I think we are striving to live our lives in a way where we we often get frozen by this need of thinking we have to be perfect or measure up or um, keep up with something we see in the world because we don't maybe understand that it's it's a cheap imitation, right? It's a model of what we what we're designed to need, and so we often chase this idea of perfecting things in our lives to be good enough to be worthy, um, and we get tied up in that, and so our purpose sort of begins to drown in striving for that perfection. And what I'm hoping to do with this platform is I want people to understand it is about your purpose. You're going to struggle, but you can struggle well. You're going to fall down, but you can learn from it. And I want people to learn it's about living from our worth. And our worth is assigned by the living God. It has inherent value. I don't care if you feel fabulous today and you're depressed tomorrow. Whether you feel great or you're depressed, your worth is unchanging. Whether you feel confident or afraid and insecure, your worth does not 
change. Uh, even in doing this project, I am facing so many insecurities that God's going to work out in me. And I have to hold on to, I'm living from my worth. I'm not going to live from my feelings, my performance. I'm not going to measure by my success or failures or the opinions of other people. And that's a really hard one because we're a very social media driven world. Even this whole platform I'm learning to do, holy cow, you know, well, which got more likes or reached more people. And then God goes, hold on. That's not why I asked you to do this. And I go, right. Keep my head straight, Lord. Right. So I want people to understand that we are here for a purpose. Your worth is inherent and you are called to live from your worth, not your feelings, not the opinions of other people, not your performance. You're called to live from your worth and you are designed for a purpose that is given by God. It is unique to each one of us. Nobody else can step in and do what God has called Sharon Smaga to do. So even though I'm scared with this project and it's um, very new to me, and I'm very unseasoned at this point. He has instructed me to do this and I want to be obedient because if he's told me to do this, then that is part of me living out my purpose. And in living out that purpose, I do have joy and peace and contentment. And as soon as I get caught up in measuring up, impressing other people, um, are people going to laugh at me or not? Will anybody listen to what I have to say? I lose sight of my purpose and I'm pursuing perfection. Yeah, that could be a whole nother uh, topic. <laughs> that could be a whole nother topic in itself. Um, because I think like... Girl, I got topics. I, yes, <laughs> I, I, I can tell. I can tell. Um, you know, because I think that that's a, a huge, especially if you're uh, in the public arena like we both are struggling with this whole, okay, I really need to watch the numbers on this. Did this resonate? Wait, Lord. Oh, not supposed to, you know, it's, you know, but it, and, and value if what I have to say, or you have to say resonates with an audience. I, I don't want to throw that out the window, but I also want to stay grounded in you know, you're thinking about our interview today and being so excited, a little nervous, mostly excited, like, woohoo, look at me, you know, um, this is exciting. I'm taking a risk and that feels great. And we come alive in uh, the right kind of risk, especially where God's directing us. Um, think about Caleb going into the land of the giants or David's, you know, going after Goliath. So we're designed, uh, we're designed to pursue those things. And we need to recognize that. And we need to recognize if, Leaders aren't leaders if they don't have followers. They can call themselves whatever they want, right? So those numbers will drive some of what we're doing or maybe I should say reflect what we're doing, but God should always be the one driving where we go. One of my favorite quotes, and I know Sharon, you've heard me comment on it before uh, in our conversations is no risk it, no biscuit. And that comes from a really good football coach that I I highly respect. Um, Bruce Arians, and it comes from his uh, propensity to take shots down the field when he should really, really not be doing that, but he does anyway, and you know, so on and so forth. But I really uh, apply that in my life in a lot of areas. You know, well, why are you doing that? No risk, it, no biscuit. You know, some will win, some will lose. Well, and that's more clever than what I've got. I just look at people and say, well, because God said so. 
there is that component too, you know? So I think I'm crazy a little bit. Some of them like, well, God, why are you doing pop coach life? Why are you doing these video logs? If you're so scared, I'm like, because God said so. And if he said so, I want to be obedient because in that obedience, he has blessings for his church and for, for people that, that haven't come to know him. And I don't know what that looks like, but I don't need to. I don't need all the stats. I just need to follow who's in charge and trust him for the outcome. Uh, I posted a couple of weeks ago, you know, if God has called you, just follow, trust him for the outcomes, because I feel that pressure, that outcome pressure a lot kind of feeds into that, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah. So, well, um, I do want to wrap this up. Uh, Sharon, we are definitely going to have to have you back because apparently uh, you have a few more topics. <laughs> and uh, Endless list, but I would love to do this uh, on a more regular basis. I think we you. can make that happen. I really this do. I think we can. Yeah, this is great. <laughs> um, but uh, guys, seriously, check her stuff out. Popcoach.life. Um, she's got a podcast and I should add that her podcast is on the Unresolved Podcast Network. Uh, it is live. If you want to check it out, please do so. Um, and we're just really happy to have her. Um, I think she's going to bring a, uh, uniqueness to the network. And I think we're definitely going to have to have her on a little more often. Um, cause you know, there's just plenty of stuff to cover here. So Sharon, thank you so much for coming and being on Unresolved. Thank you. It's a, it's a mile marker for me, girl. So I'm just excited and I appreciate the opportunity and thank you for the faith um, that y'all have had in me. And um, I think back to three years ago when you were starting your journey with this stuff and some of the things you guys were talking about. And I'm just so, it's just been really neat to watch your work grow and you've invited me into this with you in a way that that I just deeply appreciate. And I think it's um, uh, one of my pastors was talking a couple of weeks ago in a sermon about, remember, God's the hand and you're the glove. Oh, I like that. Be the glove. And I'm sitting here thinking, well, look at us two being gloves. <laughs> <laughs> you know, uh, he just... You know, I'm just reminded, it's like, you know, we can't not obey. We just can't. You know, when he says do something, we got to do it. That's it. Well, in, in obedience, we have greater protection and blessing. But that's a whole nother podcast episode. Yes. <laughs> Once again, another topic. You got it. <laughs> All right. Well, guys, uh, I'm Teresa Blaze. This has been the Unresolved Life Podcast. We will speak again next time. You've been listening to the Unresolved Life Podcast. To catch all our past shows, go to unresolved.life. That's unresolved.life.